we're in the book of Leviticus, uh, and we're working our way, we're going to start working our way through it this, uh, this week. I, last week, gave a quick introduction, and don't, don't worry if you missed it, I'll recap things as we, uh, the key concepts as we go along. Uh, but two things that I, I want you to remember, um, the, if, somebody, yeah, if somebody comes to you uh, and says, what is the book of Leviticus about? You should have two phrases that you are ready to utter, and one of them is, be holy as I am holy. That's, that's right from the book, right? And then the other one is holiness is different. And we'll, we'll talk about what that means and develop that a little bit more as we go along. But from this book uh, is God speaking to the children of Israel and giving them the rules uh, that they need to follow because God is in their midst now. He's living in the tabernacle uh, and, or he's residing in the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. And he's telling them, this is how you worship me. This is how you enter sacred space uh, and have the right to, uh, or the the ability to interface with me. Um, The basic divisions uh, are holiness and worship versus daily living. Today, we're going to talk entirely uh, about the sacrifices. So we're going to read the first five chapters of Leviticus and talk about, and we'll get into it, and it's going to seem very strange to you because... uh, this is where everybody stops reading the Bible. <laughs> They're like, this, is, this doesn't apply to me. Um, it's uh, a series of sacrifices that God is telling them to, to uh, enact for him or to give to him in order to uh, interface with him in the middle of the camp. And uh, then the back half uh, of Leviticus is about how you live a holy life in, in your like. How, how, uh, how do you avoid sin, basically? How do you live a holy life as a holy person, uh, dedicated uh, and called out to live for God? Um, and those contain regulations for like how you deal with one another, um, how you, uh, how, who you're supposed to marry, uh, how you treat your land and your finances, all kinds of things. And so that, that's really the, the bulk of uh, Leviticus in many ways is that holiness code. Um, you will hear many people, um, especially out in the world, um, who want to confront you about your faith. Uh, oftentimes they will say things like, well, you, uh, you think homosexuality is a sin, but you don't follow the other laws that are in Leviticus, like you wear mixed fabric. That's one thing that's forbidden. You don't, you don't eat kosher, you know, there are a variety of other things. When somebody says that to you, um, say, that's cute, but that don't work on me. Uh, because I know that Leviticus is addressed to the nation of Israel at a specific time, at a specific place in their history, and spells out the way that they should live with God in that moment in time. Uh, and there are principles we can draw from it, uh, but like as far as like not, I'm sure I'm wearing mixed fabrics right now, right? Somehow. Uh, and I'm sure we all violate the things that are in the holiness code on a daily basis, that it's not meant for us. So the, the principle is we should understand what they understood when they read this, and then we should draw principles from it that we can live by. Um, so it's, it's for them, uh, and it's also ultimately for us, but we have to understand what it said to them before we can understand what it says to us. Uh, so I have, I have passed out, or I didn't pass it out, I laid it on the table over there and pick, people picked it up, uh, a handout that is headed, uh, Penitential Prayer to Every God. Um, please, please do not pray this. Um, this, is not, this is not intended for you to pray. Please don't. 
Um, and I'm going to read most of it. Um, this is, uh, it was written uh, in uh, Sumeria, which is, they were a neighbor uh, of uh, the Israelites. Uh, and we don't know exactly when it's dated to, but it's, it's a little bit later than the Exodus. Um, and this person is praying and they say, May the, heart, may the wrath of the heart of my God be pacified. May the God who is unknown to me be pacified. May the goddess who is unknown to me be pacified. May the known and unknown God be pacified. May the known and unknown goddess be pacified. The sin which I have committed, I know not. The misdeed which I have committed, I know not. A gracious name may my God announce. A gracious name may my goddess announce. A gracious name may my known and unknown God announce. A gracious name my known and unknown goddess announce. Pure food I have not eaten. Clear water have I not drunk. An offense against my God I have unwittingly committed. A transgression against my goddess I have unwittingly done. O Lord, my sins are many. Greater my iniquities. My God, my sins are many. Greater my iniquities. And I could go on. But um, this is one of the saddest things that comes out of us, uh, co- that comes to us out of the ancient world. Um, it's somebody saying, I-, "I don't know what the gods want, and I don't know, I don't know how to please them, uh, and my life is falling apart. But I don't know who I made angry, and I don't know how I made them angry, and I don't know what I, sh- I don't know what I should do or could do to fix it." Um, when you read something like that, you come to understand why uh, in uh, the life of David, right? It says David danced with delight at the idea of the law, right? And like, uh, I am a lawyer, but I don't get particularly happy of when I'm reading the law, right? And like, none of us are like, yes, the speed limit is 55. I, under- I understand that the speed limit, no- nobody's particularly enthused about the law. But the Israelites were, David was, Why? Because in comparison to the people groups around him, he knows what God wants. God told him. Uh, and it's, it's that that is, um, that's one of the most significant things about Leviticus is they have a God who's willing to tell them, he, here's what you need to do to worship and live with me correctly. Uh, and, having, and, and in comparison to the, the Egyptians where they were coming from and the people groups around them who they would ultimately live with, this is radical. It's radical mercy from God to tell them what they, they can do um, and how to be holy. So we're going to start tonight with holiness in worship. Um, and I, I apologize, this is rather dry material, but I'm going to try to make it uh, lively and interesting. Um, yeah, so a uh, couple things that you uh, need to know uh, in order to place this in its, its ancient Near Eastern context one uh, is that uh, the, the way that other cultures in the ancient Near East um, practiced worship or sacrifice that was similar to what you're seeing here, uh, it almost always involved an idol. Um, and in the, in the, the mindset uh, of the ancient Near Eastern folks, like Assyrians, Sumerians, the, the Matanians, and others, uh, you would get an idol, right? Or you would create an idol, uh, and nobody thought that idol was God. Um, they would perform a ritual that was supposed to fill it with the spirit of the thing that they were worshiping. Um, and that would involve a sacrifice often. It would involve prayers. It would involve the burning of incense. It would involve a whole bunch of stuff. 
Um, it's, some of it, if you read it, is kind of like a baby, like when you, like you, you hold and treat a baby. Um, and the idea was that, that the spirit of the God was going to enter into that idol and they would keep it wherever they were going to keep it and they would worship it. Um, this, by the way, is the... Um, Isaiah has a really funny passage where he says... Uh, um, he's recounting Abraham's reaction or why Abraham started to seek God. And he says, Abraham realized that people were, like they would take a log and cut it in half and over one half they would cook, a, they would cook food, they would make a fire and cook food and then the other half they would make into a statue and say, this is God. And Abraham said, this is silly. Um, so that, that's one thing you need to know is that, that a lot of the stuff that's in here is is um, set in opposition to that idea of filling, um, filling a statue or filling an idol with the spirit of a god. The second is that um, for, for the, the folks in the ancient Near East and these other, uh, other religions and other people groups, um, to them, uh, God is not um, kind or... Uh, the, the gods don't love people uh, in like Sumerian or Babylonian religion. Uh, the gods made people to serve them. Uh, and so in order to get the gods to do what you want, uh, you have to use magic and manipulation, which involves a whole, like, a whole cast of characters that are kind of intermediaries, like demons and spirits, and you're going you're gonna to sacrifice to them, and they're going to influence the gods so that you are... Um, so that you get what you want. Uh, and that's the idea, right, of, of almost all religious practices in the ancient Near East is I, I'm going to do something that will placate the gods or make them happy. And the, the idea is I get a result out of that. Um, Zeus uh, doesn't want a relationship with his, uh, with his worshipers. He doesn't want to live among them. He, he, he just doesn't, right? And so you have to trick him. To, to do things. Um, the God that we find in Leviticus is not like that. The God that we find in Leviticus wants to live with his people in peace and harmony and make them the best kind of people they can be at that moment in history. Um, and in order to do that, he's telling them what they need to do. He's telling them how to live a holy life. Um, so we're going to go through the offerings and sacrifices. Uh, let's go ahead and... Uh, read. And Richard, I kind of lied about the, uh, what I was gonna, the verses I was going to go through, as always. Um, so I'll just tell you where to go if that's okay. Um, so we're going to start in Leviticus 1, 1 through 9. Uh, it starts with uh, the five great sacrifices are described. Uh, and the first one is burnt offerings. It says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round, a, round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering, or skin it, 
uh, and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. And his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water uh, to get rid of any waste. And the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. That's, one of, that's the kind of common theme of these first three is that they are a sweet aroma to the Lord. Uh, and so you may say, okay, well, what uh, mechanically, how does it work, right? And mechanically, how it works is you pick that you're supposed to give the very best that you have, right? The very best that you have is an unblemished bull, um, uh, cattle, right? Why? Because it's economically valuable, right? A, a bull can make a whole, if you give him enough cows, he can make a whole bunch of little, little cows, right? Um, Whereas a cow can, uh, a, a she-cow can only, I don't think they have litters, right? I'm not a farmer guy, so I don't know. But I think they only have one, one, one baby uh, at a time usually, and it, right, over the life of a, of a cow, she can create many less cows than a bull can. Um, so um, the, the most valuable thing you can have is a, a, a male uh, a male cattle, and it has to be without blemish. Uh, we're told by Plutarch and others that the, the priests were extremely careful. Like they inspect, the, like they weren't just like, oh yeah, it checks out, this, we trust this guy. They looked at every sacrifice to make sure that it was out, without blemish. It was important to them that it not have any flaw. Uh, and so then the, the whole thing, right, is skinned, uh, and everything is burnt except for the skin. Uh, and they, they paint part of the altar with the blood. Uh, and you're like, whoa, that's weird. Wow. <laughs> Why do they do that? Uh, it, it's, it's because um, the blood, uh, as we'll find out later, uh, to them represents life force. Uh, and it's used to sanctify or purify uh, that part of the tabernacle. Right? You can enter into God's presence because you've made it pure. Um, and then the, the whole thing is burned. Uh, none of it is preserved. We're going to see in later sacrifices that it's basically like a Brazilian barbecue. Like you bring your cattle and they cook it and, and you take part of it and God takes part of it and the priest takes part of it and you all and you give some to your friends and family and it's, it, it's a huge party. Um, but in this case, this is for God. This, <laughs> Greg's laughing at me. Uh, stop laughing at me, Greg. Uh, it... The fire consumes everything, right? All of it goes to God. And there are a few different like, ideas or, or um, concepts for like, why the, these sacrifices exist, and I'll list four of them. Uh, one of them is the gift idea. Like, this is just a gift to God. Um, and w- we know, I won't go and read um, all of these, but uh, if we r- were to read Psalm 50, 12 through 14, which I'll find quickly, or maybe Richard will just flash it up. Maybe. Will he do it? I don't know. There we go. Uh, so God says um, in Psalm uh, fifty twelve, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Um, and then, will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. From, 
from God's perspective, right? He's he's disabusing them of the notion that uh, he's like, I'm not I'm not eating this stuff, guys. Or I'm not you know I'm not I don't need your sacrifices. That's that's not the point of the sacrifice. the The point of this of this particular sacrifice is for them to enter sacred space, and um, it's like uh, going to someone's home, right, and bringing a gift. I don't think we do that a lot here in the United States. Maybe sometimes, but uh, when I was in Japan, uh, where I, I was for a couple months back in 2016, if you went to somebody's house and you showed up without an umagi, a business gift, uh, it's it's a huge faux pas. Like it's a, like they won't call you out and be like, "Where's my gift?" Um, but it, you look like a rube if you don't do it. Um, this is very similar, right? The idea is you're, you're coming into God's presence and you are offering up a gift, to, or you're, you're offering up this uh, welcome gift almost to him. Notice that there's not any talk about like, oh, you did something wrong, right? That, that's not part of this paradigm is you did something wrong, so you need to bring an offering. Let's continue. Uh, Leviticus, oh, also notice, I'm sorry. So when you go into God's presence, we talked last week about how this is kind of a a manual, a safety manual, because being around God's dangerous, right, in the context of him living in the camp. Uh, Notice, like, you've got to bring the right gift. Uh, What would happen if you tried to, if if I brought my, uh, you know, a bull that I knew was not, a good one, right? I just tried to pass. I thought, eh, you know, I'm, not, I'm done with this one. He's not, he's not any good anymore. I'm going to bring him in and have the priest slaughter him, and I'll get, I'll get credit for that, and people will love me. They'll see I'm offering this, right? We read in Leviticus 10 how God, God killed the priests when they offered uh, this unauthorized incense to him. So it, it's dangerous. Don't do that. Um, I'm very glad when I read Hebrews 4, 16, that it says I can approach the throne boldly, right? That's New Testament grace is I get to come to God all the time if I want to. I am sacred space. I don't have to go to a place that's dangerous. Um, I, it also means I have an enormous responsibility. Um, there it is. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That, that's not what the Israelites were thinking. They were thinking, I better be careful, because God is dangerous. Okay, let's turn to Leviticus 2. And the, the rest of chapter 1 is the same sacrifice, but with uh, goats. Uh, it's instructions for like, hey, if you bring a goat, you don't have a cow um, or bull. Um, and then the third one is, if you're super poor and you just have a bird... This is how the priests will treat the bird. So it's, but it's all the same sacrifice, the same whole burnt offering sacrifice. Leviticus 2. And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. Um, and meat here, it means like a meal uh, or like a, something that you're going to eat. It doesn't mean meat like... Uh, like, yeah, it doesn't mean like a steak or a, a, a grilled chicken breast. Uh, that's, why it's, uh, that's why it's made of fine flour. Um, 
And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take uh, there out his handful of the flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of, of it upon the altar, to be an offering made by fire, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire." And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering bacon in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. Um, and the idea here is you don't want any yeast in it because, and it's almost impossible for us to get into their head and understand like why they thought this. But their conception of yeast or a, like a leavening agent that would make the bread rise is that that would make the bread imperfect. That, that's why when we have our, um, our uh, communion, we have unleavened bread, right? It, it's a symbol uh, of something that is pure. Uh, it, it's kind of like, uh, it, it's the way it ought to be. That, that's, that, that's what bread looks like when it's perfect, is it is unleavened. It's also tasteless, apparently. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, um, so if you were... Um, putting something into the bread to make it rise, that's problematic because it represents, uh, represents sin, it represents uh, it not being pure in the way that God likes. And in that place, at that time, in the presence of God, uh, only things that aren't representative of uh, corruption are allowed. Uh, Verse 5, and if thy oblation be a meat offering bacon in a pan, it shall be of fine flour and leaven mingled with oil. Thou shalt part it in pieces and pour oil thereon. It's a meat offering. Uh, and I will skip some of this. Ah, verse 13. And every obla- Sorry, Richard. And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. So in the ancient world, uh, incorporating like salt uh, was the, uh, it was a preservative, that's exactly right. It was a preservative, and so it, it came to represent the idea of a covenant. Uh, which is why um, if Chris came over to my house, and we were making a contractual agreement, I would serve him water and salt. Right? And, and, that, and that's how we would make uh, our agreement. That's, that's the symbol of our agreement. It's a preservative. It, it, it's going to maintain the bond between us. And so that it's symbolic. Right? God doesn't care that it is, has salt on it in the sense that he's going to eat it or something. Uh, it's, it's representative of something deeper about the relationship. Let's go to Leviticus 3. And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offer it of the herd, so now we're getting into the kinds of sacrifices that are made uh, of actual meat. Uh, if he offer it of the herd, whether it be male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. And he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards. And the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away. Uh, so that's, that's what's for God. That's the richest meat. 
uh, and Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar uh, upon the burnt sacrifice, which is upon the wood that is on the fire. It's an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Uh, and then let's go to verse 17. Uh, it shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that ye eat neither fat nor blood. Um, so if we were going to re- read through uh, this whole chapter, you would see that it, it basically is like a barbecue, right? It's like you're going to have a meal with God. Um, this is the reality of God living in the camp with them um, and of them sharing fellowship with him. Uh, again, you notice the, the common thread of the blood being applied to the altar uh, and the, the purification happening there. It's the idea that they are preparing sacred space for you to enter and, and commune with God. Um, the, uh, the other thing I'll note here, um, have you noticed what's missing from all of these? There's not a single mention of, oh, you committed a sin, so you need to sacrifice. N- none of these are about your, your sin, um, or your, uh, some Israelites' personal sin. Uh, they don't purport to remove sin. They don't, they're not about getting rid of some past mistake you made. Nothing. Uh, it's, it's just about communing and living in, in harmony with God uh, in the midst of the camp. Chapter 4. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for his sin offering. Now we're talking, right? Like th- This is more about what we think of when we think about a sacrifice, right? We think, oh, people needed to offer a sacrifice to atone for their sins, right? And, and that's what Jesus is an image of. And that's, that's kind of right. But in none of these do you find the blood... like. You know, we say things like we're washed in the blood of the lamb. You know, we're we're made clean by his blood. In none of these sacrifices is the blood applied to the person who brought the sacrifice. So it's an imperfect metaphor in that way. And notice too, uh, in verse um, verse two, it says, "If a soul shall sin through ignorance." against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and, and shall do against any of them. So it's not, for, um, it's not for instances where you sin intentionally, right? Where you break the moral law by saying, oh, I know this is wrong, but I want to do it. And then you go ahead and do it. Um, who, who's done that? Almost, con- almost constantly. I'm probably doing it now. Um, Right, like in your head, I know this is wrong, but I want the outcome. It's not for that. Uh, when we get to the holiness code, we'll find that there's a whole bunch of stuff that has to do with ritual purity, with being uh, clean enough, not in a hygiene sense, but in a ritual sense, to get in front of God. Uh, and there are things you just can't avoid. Um, like it, it's um, a, a woman who gives birth is considered unclean. Nothing, nothing more natural in the world than giving birth, right? And, and she certainly can't avoid it. Um, so, right, it's, it's coming whether you want it or not um, at that point. So it, it's, it's, not, um, it's not a matter of you being uh, ritually unclean because you did something morally wrong. 
There are things that can happen to you that make you ritually unclean that are, are completely not your fault uh, or are completely unavoidable. Yeah. It's, it's not prescribed. It's, it's when you want to, apparently. And then this one, is this just every time you do something that you didn't know about? Uh, apparently. And it, when we, as we work through this, um, and I don't know that I'll read the whole thing because I, I want to get to the point, but um, that's a great question. It's, there are kind of two, two, uh, two versions of this sacrifice. One is for the priest to do. When the priest uh, has sinned himself, is ritually unclean himself, or believes that somebody in the community is uh, like inadvertently ritually unclean, like Grandpa died in the tent and they had to get him out, and people were scrambling and they don't know who touched him, but somebody did, so we're going to go ahead and make this right. Um, you're not supposed to touch a dead body, so that's sometimes sometimes if you want to get a dead body out, you got to touch it, right? Um, and then. Uh, there's another version towards the latter end of this that is for like me. I know I inadvertently sinned uh, earlier and I want to make it right. And there's not a prescribed like every couple of days or every, you know. Um, the fact that um, a, a male bull is in line with the, the first sacrifice we talked about suggests it wasn't very often, right? Because that would be economically costly. Um, but, um, yeah, does that answer your question as far as, like, timing? That's a great question. I just thought that'd be expensive to do every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I think it certainly was not required every day for individuals, for sure. Um, so let's, I, I do want to get to the point, and I'm sorry that I've kind of belabored this. Let's go to uh, chapter 5. These are trespass offerings. And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of unclean cattle, the carcass of unclean cre- creeping things, and if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Uh, and it goes on from there talking about um, the, the, the state of uncleanness or the state of, of ritual uncleanness that exists. Um, and let me go down here. Verse 6, and he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin, which he hath sinned. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. Uh, and we're going to stop there because I, I want to get to my, uh, my ultimate point here. But this one too, this is just about inadvertent sin. This is not, hey, I murdered somebody. Or hey, I stole Joe's goats or uh, I slept with Joe's wife, or whatever. Um, it's, it's not about your intentional sin. It is about inadvertent ritual problems. Um, the, the only penalties we'll find when we get to the holiness codes where it talks about uh, the kinds of problem, intentional sin problems, that usually the penalty is death. Because you're not going to put somebody in jail when you're wandering around the wilderness, right? Like, there's no jail, um, they, so usually the penalty is death or like remuneration. Like, hey, you stole Joe's goat, give Joe's goat back plus another goat. Um, the, um, the issue uh, of intentional sin is just never dealt with in this book. 
And, and I want to show you something. Let's go to Hebrews 9. I know we read through Hebrews uh, many, many weeks ago now. But the point is this. Um, what we have... Oh no, my Bible lost... Oh, there it is. I have the only Bible printed without Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. And this is the author of Hebrews, right, telling us that Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrifices, better than the priesthood, better than the angels, better than every aspect of Old Testament life. And in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine sacrifice and a worldly sanctuary, the tabernacle. Uh, let's skip to verse 11. But Christ... Being come, on high, being come on high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made, with his hand, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once unto the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Let's go to, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the new covenant, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Let's go to verse 21. Uh, moreover, and it's talking about Moses and, and the priesthood, and it says, Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, or copies, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto, the, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Let's go to uh, 10. And I, I'm, I apologize, I'm just a bit over time, but I want to finish this up. For the law, having a, a shadow, or, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it, this is the key verse. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Right? That there's no solution. There's no solution in Leviticus for your, your intentional sin. There is no solution. Uh, now, and we find in other places that, that uh, David, for instance, prays directly to God and says, I know I've sinned. I, I know I've done this intentional thing uh, and uh, reestablishes his relationship. But the Levitical system doesn't hold any answers 
for somebody who has intentionally sinned. Uh, Verse 4, For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and uh, offering and burnt offerings and offering for sins thou wouldst not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Jesus, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Right? The Levitical system is done. Jesus is better. Um, and it's, it's this connection that makes Leviticus so important. Right? It's, we can look forward um, to, a, to a time, and the time exists now, when our own intentional sins are forgiven. Now, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Our brother Paul tells us, God forbid. But there is a method. There is no hope in the, in the Levitical system that the Jews had for the permanent remittance of sin. Only Jesus can provide it.